if you're just going out for a day and you don't go out very often, I would virtually 100% of the time tell you to go snowshoeing. Within five minutes, you'll be having a good time. Hey guys, I'm Ezra David Romero. And I'm Carrie Klein. This is Outdoorsy, a podcast from Valley Public Radio. We take you to wild places in Central California and introduce you to people who explore them. Today, we're taking advantage of the season and venturing out into the snow. We've gotten a lot of it this winter, so it's the perfect opportunity for snowshoeing and cross-country skiing. Or at least snowball fights. Yeah, we'll take you to a few places near the valley to play in the snow. We'll help you get equipped and then tantalize you with a sugary delicacy that's wildly popular in Shaver Lake. So let me say first, Ezra, that I love winter. As long as I'm bundled up with nice warm gear, I adore snow and seeing my breath in the air and hearing ice crunching under my feet. Well, Carrie, I don't love winter as much as you, but I do love everything about snowshoeing. I think that's because I'm a big hiker. In my early 20s, my friends and I had a tradition of snowshoeing on New Year's Day every year in Sequoia National Park. Yeah, that sounds really lovely. And that's a great place to go, too. But in my mind, hardly anywhere is more magical in the winter than Yosemite National Park. I went on two snowshoeing forays this winter, and Yosemite was the first. I went with three friends over Christmas weekend when you may remember there was a big storm. We drove in as the snow started falling, and we settled into Half Dome Village, formerly Curry Village, in a heated tent cabin. And we listened to the snow and ice fall on the tent roof all night. The next morning, snow plows were out, snow chains were on, and people were slip sliding all over the paths between buildings. We pulled out our snowshoes and decided to take a nice big tour of the valley, walking from Half Dome Village to Mirror Lake, then back along Tanaya Creek with a stop at the majestic Yosemite Hotel for some hot chocolate. Before we started, my friend Alon pulled out a map. And we were thinking if we take the upper path, then we could continue that along the Royal Arches. Yosemite Valley's greatest hits. You got it. So we set off, and as soon as we found the path off the road, we stopped to strap on our snowshoes. So this goes through this hook. Oh, it's probably actually easier if we put each other's on. If you've never put snowshoes on before, they might seem a little tricky, but they're really pretty foolproof. Oh, there's actually an indication on the snowshoe. Like it says, ball of foot goes here. (laughs) So we took off. Within a few minutes, though, we were under a lot of tree cover. That means there were all these bare patches with hardly any snow, and our snowshoes kept scraping on rocks and dirt. The snow's gone. So almost as soon as we started, we took the snowshoes off. You gave up? Yeah, on the snowshoes, but the walk was still beautiful. And with more snow, it would have been perfect. But that's the nature of weather, right? So whether or not there's snow, I highly recommend spending a night or two in the park this time of year and enjoying it without the summer crowds. Even in the tent cabins, there's heat. So that was snowshoe trip number one? Right. So a few weeks later, I got some real snowshoeing in, this time at a snow park. My fiance Jess and I took off east out of Fresno along Highway 168 and watched the snow grow deeper and deeper on the side of the road as we climbed into the mountains. We finally stopped at Tamarack Ridge, a snow park between Shaver and Huntington Lakes. There are a few snow parks along this stretch of 168. Tamarack Ridge is good because it has lots of trails for snowshoeing, cross-country skiing, and snowmobiling. Don't you need a permit for snow parks? Yeah, and passes are pretty cheap. You can get a day pass for $5, but you can also get a season pass for $25. They were available in about a half dozen stores in Shaver Lake, but you can buy them online or by mail, too. 
So when Jess and I got to Tamarack Ridge, it was packed with little kids sledding and building snowmen and families tailgating in the parking lots. Jess and I waded through the folding chairs to the sign at the trailhead. I believe that we are here. It's huge. It's been lifted above the snow level so you can get your bearings and plan your route. So I think that our probably best bet would be to do the Raven Trail to the Shaverly Vista. So we set out on a four-mile loop. And just 100 feet or so in, we were the only ones there. We had six feet of pristine, untouched snow all to ourselves. Sounds perfect. Yeah, it was quiet and serene and beautiful. But it also meant we lost the trail. Uh, the, the path just disappears. That actually happened to us a few times. All right, all right. let's turn around again. But it's not a big deal, right? Because unless three feet of snow have fallen in the last hour, you can still see your footsteps and retrace them. So we went for a few hours and probably still got three or four miles in. So it still sounds like a successful trip. One of the first times I rented snowshoes, it was sort of a disaster. The place messed up and gave me two shoes for right feet. It made the trip harder than it should have been. I fell a few times and the shoes made me want to veer right the entire time. To spare first-timers from experiences like mine, I found a local expert. Camping department, this is Scott. Scott Shively is an avid snowshoer and skier, as well as the manager for the backpacking, camping, mountaineering, and snow-related section of Herb Bauer Sporting Goods in Fresno. He says so far this year, snow levels in the Sierra Nevada are perfect for snowshoeing, but the elevation of snow here can present a problem for newbies. And we've had good snow, and I would say it's very good conditions this year. However, the last few storms have been a little bit on the warmer side, and um, of course that means that the snow level will go up and up and up. Realize also that our snow is at higher elevation and there's less oxygen up there. Um, it's much easier to get tired. I always tell people, you, you know, leave the day going, ah, I could have gone further versus, oh my gosh, I'm still two miles from, from the car and I'm just dying here. What, what do I do? Herb Bauer rents and sells cross-country skis and snowshoes. Yeah, that's actually where I got my snowshoes. Yeah, Scott fitted me with a pair of large ones. He says you don't need special shoes for snowshoeing, just waterproof hiking boots. And then you get your foot about to that, there's a ball of the foot section, so your toe will hang over the binding just a little bit. You don't want it to hang over too much uh, because then you're, as you're moving up and down, it's not going to uh, close. And then depends on the, your, your footwear, you'll snug it down. Super easy to put on and off when you don't have gloved hands. When you have a gloved hand, it's a little bit more difficult. Scott says if you're just going out for a day and it's your first time, then it's best to rent. It's about 40 bucks a weekend to rent skis, boots, and poles, and under 30 bucks for snowshoes. A new pair of snowshoes is around $150, and a whole ski system can cost 500 bucks or more. He says ski poles aren't necessary for snowshoeing, and he says the sport is easier to get into than skiing. If you're just going out for a day and you don't go out very often, I would virtually 100% of the time tell you to go snowshoeing. Within five minutes, you'll be having a good time. You're not going to be able to go as far, because you can probably go about half as far as you can walk. So if you, you know, are used to you know, walking five miles on a, on a hike during the summer, you probably are going to go about two and a half miles under that same amount of time. For snowshoes, Scott says it's imperative that you have the right size and maybe even have extensions for them so you don't sink into the snow. Extensions are tails that you clip on to the end of snowshoes to increase the surface area, meaning you won't sink. So when you say size, you mean, like, shoe size? Not exactly. The size of snowshoes depends on how much you weigh. The heavier you are, the larger snowshoes you'll need to keep from sinking into the snow. I'm about 180 pounds. 
I probably about 25% of the time would need a tail and 75% of the time wouldn't. But virtually every day I go out, 25% of that day I would have, I, I need tails. So I pretty much need to own tails. And tails cost about $40 to, to, to $50. When it comes to skis, the investment is a lot larger. You'll need skis, bindings, poles, and boots. Besides the actual hardware for these activities, Scott says it's important to wear the right kind of clothing. Outerwear that breathes easy and is waterproof. As for where to go, Scott says there are so many places to have fun in the snow in the Sierra Nevada. Is there like an epic place that you like to go to? Well, I'm going to tell you and you know everybody's <laughs> going to be there. Uh, the place that I would say is the most guaranteed for snow is Tamarack. The, because Tamarack... Um, it's just in this little valley. If you've got a, like a, an outdoor uh, thermometer on your car, you'll watch it go from 25, 25 to 17, and then it'll go back up to 25. That valley that Tamarack's in just is you know, geographically uh, uh, positioned in a way that it really gets cold. So when it's raining in that area, the place that's the coldest is probably going to get the most snow. The place that's the coldest is probably going to hold the snow longest. Hey, another vote for Tamarack Ridge. And another place a snowshoe is Sequoia National Park. There are guided moonlit tours that run through the Sequoia Parks Conservancy every month while there is still snow on the ground. Okay, so you've rented your snowshoes, gotten a nice workout, and triumphed in a snowball fight, perhaps, and you're ready to head home and grab a snack. If you've gone somewhere along Highway 168 in the mountains, there's a place in Shaver Lake where you might want to stop for a dessert with an intriguing history. The store is called Shaver Coffee and Deli, and it's a combination food counter and convenience store on the main drag in town. They sell a lot of food, smoothies and ice cream, tri-tip sandwiches and burritos, but they've got one clear bestseller. When I walked in, two Fresno State students were standing by the door devouring a sugary, gooey-looking dessert. They hadn't even sat down. They were just standing by the cash register, picking the dessert out of the container with their fingers. It just melts in your mouth and it's very soft and moist. It's incredible. She introduced me to it, and like I was just trying to just take a bite, but I can't stop eating it. <laughs> it's so good. This dessert is called Chunky Bread. Cook and manager Shauna Curtis says it's their number one selling product. Yeah, I get it every time I go to Shaver Lake. My most accurate way to describe it is it's like the center of a cinnamon roll, but it's a whole loaf of it. Like the best part of a cinnamon roll, you get a whole big loaf of it. It's their own version of something you've probably heard of called monkey bread. We start with French bread dough and chop it up and roll it around in cinnamon and sugar and then cover it with the, our goo mixture and just bake it. It's super simple and I think that's part of what makes it so awesome is that there's not a whole lot going on with it. Wait, stop. Goo mixture? Yeah, I've never had a conversation where we said the word goo so much. And it's exactly what it sounds like. This sticky, sugary, buttery, cinnamony substance that holds the little dough balls together. And Shauna's deliberately mysterious about what it is. So what's in the goo mixture? I can't tell you that. That's our smoking gun. It's the goo. And it's got appeal. On a busy day, Shauna tells me they can easily sell 200 loaves of the stuff. And then, like, how many pounds of, like, flour do you go through in a day or butter um, or anything like that? Like, uh, 16, 160 pounds, probably, of dough. God, that's so much when I think about it multiplied like that. 
So this gooey, chunky bread, it's a secret recipe. And what's interesting is it's not a family recipe, it's a community recipe. The recipe for the chunky bread has been in the town for upwards of 50 years, and it's just been passed around from business to business. So every business that has had it has had success with it. And we just happen to be the one that has it now. Shauna thinks it was first made by a woman named Edna. It was her like homemade recipe that she just made at home, and then they started making it over there at the village and it's just continued on since then. I think that it was here before um, under another owner and the, the restaurant across the street, the cafe was the village, it was Angelo's, it was the Falls and all of those places have had it at one point or another. What's keeping other businesses from getting the recipe? We keep it a secret. <laughs> the exclusivity of it is part of what makes it so popular. I think the fact that you can only get it in one place. Other restaurants in town have tried to kind of mimic it, but it's, it's just not the same. It sounds like an honor system that's really working. Yeah, when a community gets together on something, it can be pretty impressive and delicious. And that's today's show. Check out our website for places to enjoy the winter and share a picture of snowshoeing or enjoying chunky bread on Instagram or Twitter. We're at OutdoorsyPod on both. Our editor is Joe Moore, and we had engineering help from Don Weaver. Our intern is Laura Sutsui. Our music is by Kevin McLeod and Ben Sound. Stay tuned for future shows when we visit other wild places and interview the people who love them. For Outdoorsy, I'm Ezra David Romero. And I'm Carrie Klein. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.